Hello, I'm Gary T. I'm an addict. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Uh, I know that it's late and we're wanting to get out of here and all that kind of stuff. I came really prepared. I brought a whole box of uh, information I was going to give you all, but I changed my mind. I'm just kidding. But I did come prepared because I, I knew this was a history conference and I've been talking with some people from Nashville for quite a while now in putting this together. And before I go any farther, I really want to say, I know there's not too many people left in here, but the ones that are here, please uh, give a round of applause to the people from Nashville to put this on because they just have to What happened for me here this weekend was like uh, going down memory lane. And uh, I've run into some people. I've been clean since March 17, 1979. And uh, there's a lot of people that I have not seen in, in a very long time. And to spend some time with them again and be here this weekend has been very special for me. I, uh, uh, there's not much that I can add to the, what already has been discussed except my own personal experiences in regards to the history of Narcotics Anonymous as I know it. And that's what you heard this weekend. There's a whole lot of different perceptions of, of the history of Narcotics Anonymous of whoever was speaking. You heard what their perception of it was or their experience of, of what it was. I got a... Uh, I have to tell you just briefly where I came from and how I ended up in Narcotics Anonymous because it's very important to me today because it's what gives me the drive to do what I still do today after 24 years of being clean. And that is, uh, I came from a, a situation where Bo talked a lot about this when he was talking and, and I really got touched and felt about it when he was saying it. And that was that we, uh, strive for a need to be appreciated. I didn't know none of that until I got to N.A., but I knew that I was, I lived, I grew up in a very abusive family. My family treated me very badly, physically, spiritually. I was raped when I was 11 years old by my stepfather, and I was in and out of institutions. I was in my first institution when I was four years old as a direct result of my father's alcoholism, beating the hell out of my mother and putting her in the hospital. The cops put him in jail. They came and got me and my two brothers and my sister and put us in this big home in Warren, Ohio, called a children's home, big red brick building with uh, bars on the windows, and, and it was a pretty scary place for a four-year-old to be. And the only way I got out of that place was through my uh, grandmother came and got us all out a, a couple days later. We were in there for a couple days. And then what happened was we got dealt with with the, the government people further because they took us away from our parents and put us in foster homes. And not only did they put us in foster homes, but they split our family up. And me and my younger brother went to one foster family somewhere miles and miles away from my older brother and my older sister who went to another family. And... uh 
that stuff was happened very early on in my life, and I still have visions of those things today. I still remember some of the things that happened, and uh, and, and there was just no kind of care and no love, no none of that stuff was going on. But uh, make a long story short, when I got the NA, I started doing a lot of drugs. I started. What happened was I had a, I grew up with a lot of anger. And, and a lot of craziness in my life. My mother eventually got us all back together. About three years later, we all got back together, but it was still just real crazy. And one of my early outlets for dealing with my feelings was I became uh, very involved in boxing in the Golden Gloves in Ohio. And and I remember going into to the ring and getting in boxing matches and, and fighting even out on the streets and just being a maniac because I had all this pent-up anger inside of me and there was a way for me to release that. And the reason I bring that up is because it was through that group of people where I first started learning how to numb those feelings through drinking alcohol. And that was when I was 14, 15 years old. After training, a few of us would go over to some friend's house and start drinking beer and we used to drink uh, one of the parents' uh, rolling rocket was. I don't know if you all know what that is, but it's pretty crazy beer. And uh, all that stuff was going on. To make a long story short, I ended up going in the Army and spending some time in the Army. And the Army is where I started learning about drugs other than alcohol. And uh, started doing hash and coke and all that kind of stuff and acid. Got out of there and continued to do the same, started shooting dope and all that kind of stuff. And... And I ended up in, I had a very good job working for uh, General Motors in uh, Lordstown, Ohio. And uh, I was doing a lot of drugs at the time, and it got to a point where they said, you need to go get help or find another job. And by this time, I've been bouncing around all over the place, and I really didn't want to have to go find another job. So I said, okay, make a long story short. I grew up in northeast Ohio, in Youngstown, Ohio. I'm only 50, maybe 40 miles east of Akron, Ohio. Akron in 1935 is where they started AA. The place I went to got put into treatment is the first known alcohol treatment center in the country that was brought up in Youngstown, Ohio. The reason I bring this up is because there's a that I went in at, in '79, and at that time there was a lot of old, old, old timers in AA that grew up in that area and were, you know, in that program for a long time. And for me to come in there was a pretty uh, shocking thing because I'm not one that, like most people that talk to, I'm not one that has been able to keep my mouth quiet very long, but I'd go into meetings. I'd be forced to go to AA meetings from this treatment center. And I had no problem talking about uh, robbing drugstores and shooting dope and smoking dope and all this other kind of stuff, and they would, these people would just get wild on me. They'd tell me to shut up and I didn't belong there and... Who do I think I am? And da 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 da, and go on and on and on. Said I need to quit talking in their meetings, and that's all that there was at that time. There was no NA meetings in Ohio that 
I was aware of in January through March of 1979. So I went through this treatment center. Sorry. And when I got out of uh, the treatment center, I was going to AA meetings because that's all there was. I got really involved in, somebody mentioned earlier about a group of AAers that was going around, and I got involved in a group called Young Peoples of AA. I was 26 years old when I got clean. I weighed probably maybe 120 pounds. Uh, I was a very, you know, going to young people's meeting, and I'm not sure, I, I can't remember all the exact dates or whatever, but I remember sometime around June or July, I think it was June of 1979, Jim, M, and a couple of people from uh, Aliquippa, Pittsburgh area, Pennsylvania, was going around to these uh, AA groups. And uh, they were looking for people to come to this new uh, meeting that was going to start in Youngstown, Ohio. And I was at a place where I was really listening to these old slogans and stuff and had about a few months, you know, at that time, sober, clean, whatever. And they were used to say, if it isn't broken, don't fix it, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, a lot of people were saying, you don't need to get involved in that. You can just do this, and all you got to do is, you know, change words around in the book and make it say, sound like instead of alcoholism, it's drugs and addicts, and you know, just change things around, and it'll be all right. And uh, and I was doing that because that was working for me at the time. I really had no desire to go to this meeting, but somehow I ended up there, not through any of my own willpower. I really believe in spiritual guidance, and I just ended up in this meeting, and it was the first NA meeting as we know it today in the state of Ohio, and we called it the original Youngstown Group of Narcotics Anonymous, and I'll never forget that meeting. There was a guy. There was a guy they brought to this meeting, it was a speaker meeting, because we didn't have any other kind of meeting at that time, it was the first meeting, and then we brought this guy over to speak. <clears throat> it was from Beaver Falls or Newcastle or somewhere from Pennsylvania, his name was Danny V, a little short guy. 
And this guy stood up and actually was sitting in this big chair on a stage looking out at us, and, and he was telling his story. <clears throat> and, uh, geez. What I'm trying to say is I could just re I could relate to what he was saying. He was telling my story. He talked a lot about, you know, the family abuse and, and, and the open feelings and stuff that was going on. And, uh, and, and I could relate so much to what he was saying and that I'd never heard before in any other kind of meetings I was going to. The way that he was talking and sharing openly about feelings and, and like somebody was saying before about hearing a canned message and, and, and we weren't hearing that. I didn't hear that when I went to my first NA meeting. It was such an emotional thing. I knew I belonged. <clears throat> I knew at that time, at that meeting, that this is where I needed to be. <clears throat> I haven't found it necessary since that first meeting in June of 1979 to seek recovery anywhere else besides Narcotics Anonymous. A lot of things have happened since I've been in NA. A lot of good things, a lot of bad things. When we first started NA in, in Ohio, there was only a handful of us. Me and Jim and I think maybe three or four at the most other guys that came over from this AA Young People's Group. And, uh, and, and we were getting our mentors, the people that were guiding us and helping us, were the people from Pennsylvania, from the Double Bubble Group, from Aliquip, and uh, some groups in, in the Pittsburgh area. And, uh, you know, they gave us a little white book, and, and they gave us, I, I remember calling Jimmy in the, in the beginning and asking for starter kits for new groups that we were starting and, and they would send us a couple pamphlets and a little white book and wish us good luck and, and, and that kind of stuff and and we took one more meeting went to went to another meeting and, and then went to another city and started another uh, meeting and eventually we were going all over Ohio and West Virginia and uh, just, you know, doing meetings all over the place. It wasn't nothing for us to get in a, a group of us to get in a car and drive 60 miles to help start a meeting in Cleveland, Ohio, or 60 miles going the other way direction to Pittsburgh, going to a meeting there. And uh, during any time of the week, it wasn't a matter of what we were doing the next day, whether we were working or not, we were just going to a meeting. That doesn't... Stuff doesn't happen today, and I know it's because we've matured a lot and we've grown a lot and we've got a lot more meetings and stuff like that, but I really miss that kind of stuff. I miss, we bonded so much because we were so desperate at that time 
to make this work for us. I think we really knew inside, I knew inside that if I didn't make it in Narcotics Anonymous, I was going to die. I knew it. I was, I've been to so many institutions in my life. I spent, before I got clean, I spent oh, more than half of my life in and out of institutions, whether it was psych wards, hospitals, jails, all different kinds of institutions. And uh, the only thing left for me if I didn't make it was to die. So we were, I was really desperate. I was really desperate to make this thing work, and, uh, and I was really dedicated. And, and I personally, I've never, to tell you the truth, I can stand up here and tell you, I've never, in all the years I've been clean, been to a World Service Conference meeting in California. Had no desire to go there, but I was very involved in my group, my area, my region, of what was going on and getting the information back about what was happening. I don't want to get carried along here with this stuff because I want to tell you some important things that happened. We started in 79 and things just kept growing. We had a few meetings here and there and a few meetings here and there and, and it kept growing. I remember some people from Akron, Mark and uh, Gary F. from Akron came down to uh, Youngstown and uh, was learning about NA and, and taking it back to Akron and starting meetings right there next to the founding birthplace of AA. And there we were hand in hand in, in Akron with AA. Uh, there were some very strong supporters from AA in our area in what we were doing, mainly because they didn't want us coming to their meetings and talking about what we were talking about. But they were there helping us and supporting us and, and really helped guiding people to our fellowship. I personally want to see a, a couple of very important things that helped the growth, growth of Narcotics Anonymous, not only in Ohio, but as a fellowship as a whole. One is I've seen that more of us addicts started getting clean and a lot of addicts got involved in the treatment of addicts in the treatment field. And once addicts started getting hired in these treatment centers, more and more people were coming to Narcotics Anonymous because these addicts were directing them in, the, in that direction. I've seen that happen over and over and over. And the other biggest thing was the, the literature movement and what happened with the basic text. Again, I don't remember all the years. I'm going to tell you my experience, what happened sometime in 81, I think it was. Jim came to uh, our area or our region or something and said that uh, we're going to have a literature conference here about writing a book on Narcotics Anonymous. At that time, we were calling it Big Book because we didn't know what else to call it. And, uh, None of us really knew what to expect, what, what was going to happen. But what did happen was again a very important turning point in my recovery and dedication to Narcotics Anonymous and a whole lot of other people. This happened in Warren, Ohio and uh, it was the fifth World Literature Conference at that time. 
And uh, I used to, I, I worked, I helped out in this uh, DUI school. And they had this old big school building that used to be a regular school, but it was no longer a school. But we used to do classes in there for people that got arrested for DWI in the court system. I was working with this judge who was actually running this school. And we'd go in there and talk to them and do some, evaluate some of these people that are getting busted for driving drunk or under the influence and stuff like that. So we had a good relationship with this judge and, and the system. And uh, they allowed us to use this entire school for this literature workshop that we were going to do. Now, things are, I don't know, well, they're probably saying here, but in Florida, you only have one-level buildings, houses. I mean, there's no basements or upstairs or stuff like that. But this school in Ohio had, like, uh, I think there was three or four floors and a big basement, big auditorium, and, and all that kind of stuff. What brought me back to this weekend here, I remember so well that, you know, we had people come from all over the place. That was the first time I met Bo. I met, I met uh, Joseph from Memphis. I met Greg. I met uh, Charles K. I met Motorcycle Ed. I, I met a lot of people during that. Bob G. and uh, just a lot of people that were involved in that. Tom from Missouri. They, they came from all over the place and bombarded this little town of Warren, Ohio, and came in motorcycles and trailers and cars and trucks mm -hmm. all over the place. And, and this was before times of uh, cell phones and computers. We didn't have no computers or any of that kind of stuff. We had a whole bunch of typewriters, a whole bunch of big copying machines, a whole bunch of boards on the wall. And I remember them coming in with all these boxes of material and uh, I guess uh, Sally was sharing about some of how it would happen, but I remember on the walls of this this school, just little paragraphs, one paragraph here, a paragraph here, a sentence here, a sentence there, and, and people are going around and taking this and cutting it out of there and pasting it over here, taking something from over here and putting it here. That's how our book got done. Anonymous. For me, for a lot of people, people that were involved, and uh, we really accomplished a lot. And, and one of the things that was going on that brought me back again, I wanted to bring back to this weekend, was we in the nighttime we had uh, these pasta machines, actual pasta machines. We were making our own pasta. Rolling out these big long things of uh, spaghetti or whatever you want to call it, and big pots of sauce, and uh, it was just so spiritual. I wish I could take out of me and give to you 
was happening back in those times. I wish I could give you all sitting in a corner with Bo, and, and you all know that Bo can talk, and listening to him going on and on and on and on about the message that's coming in our book. Or hearing other people going on and talking and, and having all these people typing stuff all over the place and, and running and making copies and it was just an experience I, I'll never forget. Oh boy. I'm really sorry I'm so emotional but when I talk about it, it just makes me so proud to be clean, to be a member of NA. I have to tell you, I don't feel that way today. <clears throat> I don't feel that way today as a member of Narcotics Anonymous. The bonding and the stuff that we did at, and the things that we went through at that time aren't here today. And, and I'm not saying that that's good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just saying I don't feel it. I, I don't know if we've, we've grown so much that we're losing touch of where we came from. I do know that I am a very strong supporter of the fellowship, not the World Service Office or the World Board or anybody else, but the fellowship being involved in what's written and produced and put out to addicts and narcotics anonymous. We're the ones that know what's going on. We're the ones that take time out of our lives to dedicate to carrying the message to the addict that still suffers. We don't want nobody else to die out there. When we first got clean, I, I think the first year that I was clean, I went to four funerals. The first girlfriend that I ever had ended up relapsing. I had six months clean, and she relapsed and smashed into a cement wall, and I had to bury her. That's six months clean. But it, it was going on all the time because nobody had... We didn't know what to do to say clean. We were trying to keep N.A. going. We weren't working steps. We didn't know nothing about no steps. And uh, I never really started working 12 steps of N.A. until about after being three years clean. My recovery was based on being involved in service work. <coughs> I need to go into some other things here, and hopefully I can get through this without any more emotions, and we'll be all right. I... Uh, like I said in the beginning, there was a, a, only a handful of us. So that handful had to do a lot of things. I think at one time I was H&I and PI chair, GSR for a couple of groups, and doing something else all at the same time. And this was when we just started an area. We called, started in an area. Jim came back about this area service thing, and we started an area called Northeast Ohio ASC. And uh, Neo Asthma. That was the first area in, in the state of Ohio. And uh, so we were all doing a lot of stuff. Now, there was me and this. We had no idea what the traditions meant. I was trying to get information, and other people were trying to get information from California the best we can. I don't fault Jimmy or anybody else for the slow responses we got or whatever else we got, because at that time things were going so rapid and so fast, there was no way that Jimmy or Betty or Fawn or whoever else was working out there could keep up with what was going on in all the different states in the United States. I don't see how they could possibly have done that. 
They did the best they could do. But I do know whenever I called out there, I had no problem talking to somebody on the phone. Is this a tradition violation? Is this a tradition violation? Are you sure we could do this? You know, and they would take the time to answer us. Well, sometimes we did some things without calling and getting information, and we were violating traditions all over the place. One of the things I remember very clearly was uh, me and another guy named Ralph. Ralph A. from uh, Youngstown. <clears throat> we got invited to go uh, on a local TV show. And it wasn't blacked out or anything. There we are sitting there with our faces showing and names underneath our being on TV. And here I am on this TV show, local TV show, debating with the director of the methadone clinic of Mahoney County on the difference between seeking recovery through methadone and total abstinence from all drugs. A lot of you probably already know, uh, he's uh, currently in jail for a lot of things. Jim trafficked. He had the real screwy looking wig thing and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, here we are on TV, debating. And uh, I'm trying to get the message out, you know. I was wearing this leather hat, this little beatnik-like leather hat, thinking I'm cool and having a beard. You know, it's just wild. But I'm trying to get the message out that, you know, you don't have to take no drugs. You don't have to stay on methadone for the rest of your life. I got people in my life right now. I got a friend from Gerard High School who I grew up with. He's probably been on methadone for over 30 years. He's still on it. He's been in NA a couple times, and he just would rather go down and get his shot of methadone every day. He's a slave to the methadone clinic. And... uh if he's still alive, I really haven't heard from him in probably the last five years, but it's, it's a crazy thing. But anyways, going through all this debate, one of the things that really was good that happened out of all that, even though we shouldn't have been doing what we were doing, I got the director of the methadone clinic to commit to me on live TV to allow us to take a Narcotics Anonymous meeting in his facility and let people come to, to the NA meeting. And he committed to that, and that meeting is still going today. And a lot of people came to that group. <clears throat> One of the things that I got very involved in because of my history was institutions. And we knew, and I got a lot of this message from the people from Pennsylvania, a lot of you probably have heard of them, Bob P. and Dennis H., and I can't remember all the names, but those two really stand out. Aggie, uh, they used to come to, you know, and help us and tell us really what we needed to do. And a big part of getting NA started anywhere is going to institutions where addicts are and letting them know that there's another way. I don't care where you're starting meetings at. That's where you start to get people to come. And so we started getting involved in going to a lot of different institutions, mainly the treatment centers and the court systems at the time. And we had no idea what the heck we were doing. 
We had no idea, no kind of organization, no nothing telling us this is what you should do and not do. I call California and say, do you have any kind of guidelines or anything for H&I that we can use to make this thing work? And no, we don't have anything. And I talked to some other people and, and couldn't get anything together. And so just by the seat of our pants, and, and I hate talking like this because sometimes makes it sound egotistical, but please believe me, it's not. It's not nothing about me, but I actually did some work because I'm a very perfectionist and organized kind of person, and I couldn't keep going to these meetings and things would be so chaotic at times and there was no kind of uh, way of handling the meetings, especially with clients and stuff. So I sat down and I wrote some formats. I've sat down and talked about different kinds of meetings, panel meetings, discussion meetings, and wrote down some, you know, guidelines that I took to our area service, our Neo-Aspen area service, and made a few edits with the other GSRs, and then it went to the Ohio region, and the Ohio region made a few edits and passed it on, and we approved these formats and stuff that were made up. And uh, and it was it was like an overnight change on how we were handling doing H and I meetings around Ohio, and, and everything to seem to seem more. And I hate to use this word, but in the, in that type of environment, it needs to be. But it seemed like it was being handled in a more professional manner with the people that were running these businesses. A lot of times we were getting a very bad name about, uh, you know, NA, you ain't going to make it, you can't stay there, you can't get any recovery in Narcotics Anonymous, they don't know what they're doing. You want to go, if you want to recover, you need to go to AA, if you want to get laid, go to NA. You know, those were the things that were being said about us. And that hurt me personally really bad, because I was about there saving my life, although I was getting laid a lot. <laughs> All of us were uh, 13 stepping all over the place, and that's all we knew how to do at the time. I think Juan was bringing some of that up last night about what was going on in California. But that happened all over the place. It was just the way it was. We didn't know no better. We had to mature and start working steps and get better. But in order to do that, we had to have a foundation and a program. We had to have Narcotics Anonymous in order to get where we needed to get to. And so I... Uh, I really can't, I, I, I don't know how it happened. I'm trying, I've been trying, I don't know if I'm getting Alzheimer's or what, I just turned 51. I'm turning 51 in a couple months. And, but my mind is going, I can't remember a lot of things, but somehow, World Service, particularly Bob Berg, who was the World H&I chairperson at the time, got wind of what we were doing in Ohio and somehow got copies of uh, the material we were using and stuff like that and became very excited about it. And uh, he called me and he asked, you know, if uh, he could appoint me vice chair of the World H&I Committee to run a workshop, a weekend literature movement workshop to sit down and put together 
HMI guideline book. The reason I'm so emotional is because <clears throat> it was such a scumbag. I hurt and used and abused myself and people all my life. Nobody wanted me to do anything. Nobody wanted me around. My own parents used to yell at me and say, I wish you'd be dead, and I wish you were never born, and I grew up hearing that stuff all my life. And uh, for somebody to reach out and ask me to be a part of something and show that appreciation was more than an honor. It was, it's more than I can ever repay to Narcotics Anonymous. So I told Bob that it would be my pleasure to do that. I, I feel, really feel honored and I really appreciate you asking me and I'll run this through our area and our region and, and we'll put something together and we'll do that. The first thing I did was I went to uh, Jim, who happens to be, uh, at that time, he was anyway, he was a farmer. You guys can still hear me while I'm doing this, right? He happens to be a farmer, or was a farmer, and he, uh, he had this big farm uh, in the country of Ohio, a dairy cow farm. I don't know if you all know this about Jim, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Jim, uh, his job used to be taking pictures of cows. He used to have to make them smile and look pretty for, for the magazines, for, for cow magazines, and he used to go around taking pictures of all these cows. He was pretty wild. But, uh, Anyway, he, uh, I went to him and said, look, this is what they're asking us to do. And, um, you know, can, can we use your, your farm? Do you have a space that we could do a workshop and, and do, and do uh, you know, at your farm? And he, without hesitation, Jim was very, Whatever it had to do with Narcotics Anonymous, Jim never said no to. Like a handful of us had got involved from the beginning. It didn't matter what we were asked to do. None of us ever said no to anything because we believed, because we had some kind of blind faith, because we had no idea what NA was going to turn into. I'm sure that when we got going, starting NA in Ohio was similar to what they were going through in the 50s in California. Nobody knew what NA was going to be like. I've never been to an NA meeting in California up until a couple of years ago when I went out there, but nobody really actually knew what was going to happen. But we never said no. We just had faith that things were going to be okay. And I remember uh, I have the original notes here from this from when I went to the region and asked the region about this. Here's my H and I report to the Ohio region in regards to this uh, workshop dated August 7th, 1982. And 
told him that I was going to talk with Bob Berg. And, and at that time, one area, in order to help this, you know, give us some funds and get to get going and everything, one area, Neil Asna donated $30 to this cause. That's all the money we had. So I called Bob Berg up and I said, look, we got to get some supplies and we may have to rent some typewriters and, and all that kind of stuff and we just don't have the money. He says, well, we have a little bit of a budget out here in the world H&I. And he says, what I can do is I'll send you $100. And I have that written right here. So for this workshop, we had $130 and Jim's farm for the weekend. And we made flyers and, and sent them out all over the country. And... Uh, it was amazing. People were rolling in from Washington, D.C. I remember Danny S. from Connecticut came down, and uh, people from Michigan and, and Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people from Florida came up, and they just started rolling in. I don't even know how they ever even found Jim's farm. I mean, it's way out in the sticks. It really was hard to, for me to find, and I lived out there. But... Uh, they found it, and people were camping out all over the place, and, and people were staying in trailers and putting up tents, and we had, I don't mean to sound gross, but we had some uh, pigs hanging out of trees that they slaughtered so we could barbecue them up, and uh, it, it was just, it was really good. It was a lot of fun. But we sat there, we were there for a purpose. Like we did with the basic text. That's where we all got our knowledge on how to do literature workshops. We prayed a lot in the beginning and we asked for God to guide us and, and give us the words so that we need to put down, not out of our ego, but out of spirit. And we constantly were praying because there was always indecisiveness going on and stuff, and so we would pray about it, we'd take a break, and we'd come back and, and do all that kind of stuff, and uh, that weekend ended, and guess what? I sent material out to... Uh, Bob Herb. This is the original first one off the printing press of H and I from my workshop that went out for approval to the fellowship. With Bob Berg signed it and all that. But this was all this we put all this together and sent it out to the fellowship for review and edit and approve. And uh Man, we were proud of this. I was, I was very proud of this. Ohio region was proud of this. And, and, and it had a lot of good things in it. But a lot of this stuff is not in there today because a lot of things have changed and it's been re-edited over and over again and things have changed in order to meet our needs. But what we did at that time, for, for that time, it, it met the needs that we had. And uh, it, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. I believe today we still have something like this with the H&I guidelines. It's all been broken down and put into uh, 
thing like this, and you get tapes with it and stuff like that. But it was a very proud moment in Narcotics Anonymous because we were reaching out. We had guidelines. We had a lot of a lot of stuff going on. I remember uh, the H and I Literature Committee guideline book from 1987 that we had. How many people remember these things? Steps and traditions on the yellow paper. We had those that came from uh, California. Here's a letter from Bo. First convention guidelines. 1983, January 18, 1983, where they first developed the convention guidelines that Bo was talking about. Somebody early on, I think it was Mr. George over there, mentioned something about an orange welcome key tag. There it is. One of the first key tags I ever got, orange welcome key tag. We used to give out chips. We had chips. There was no key tags. They gave out poker chips and had NA on them. And then they started coming out with key tags. A lot of stuff. PI information. One of the first PI pamphlets. And a lot of stuff was coming out, and we were doing it. Here's another important part of our history that some people tend to forget about, but we used to have these things here, and we would put them around coffee cans, and we'd call them H&I cans. And we'd be going around meetings and at groups and saying we need to shake the can because every bit of change or dollar bills that went into those cans specifically went for H&I literature, for, to buy literature to get into the institutions. Unfortunately, a good thing went bad because money started disappearing and they couldn't account for where the institutional money was going, so we got word down from California that we needed to cease in using H&I cans. I don't remember exactly what year that was, but that's what happened. But those were exciting times in Narcotics Anonymous when all this was going on. We were developing new things over and over. Just on a personal note, during this H&I workshop, that's what happened to me. I found my wife screwing my sponsor in Jim's barn. Here I am doing the workshop and that crap was going on. <clears throat> I was married for a year at the time. It was my own fault that not that they were doing what they were doing, but it was my own fault that what happened that I even got involved happened because what I did was thirteen stepper. I knew her for long time. We used to get high together and all that stuff and we used to party. I knew her for years. Well, she ended up in treatment, had a little four-year-old boy, nowhere to go, nothing going on, and here comes me, the big savior. So she does her 30 days in treatment. I move her into my house. I fall in love with her kid. I end up marrying her, and a year later, she's screwing my sponsor. That was crazy. My and not having a program of recovery at the time, my first initial reaction was I went to my brother's house and got my 357. Somebody was going to get blowed away because I was so full of pain, pain and anger. A lot of the old feelings that I grew up with came back, and, and a lot of pain and hurt and anger came back up. And 
somehow, miraculously, God stepped in, and on my way to where they were, I pulled off to the side of the road at a little park, and we were sitting on a bench looking at the lake, and I don't know if I was talking to God, or I, I can't really remember because I was like in a blackout, but the next thing I knew, I threw the gun in the lake, and I went to another support place and just fell on my knees and bawled and cried and carried on. My dedication to Narcotics Anonymous, again, we were very small at the time. My dedication to Narcotics Anonymous, or my personal problems did not keep me from doing what I needed to do to stay involved in NA. All three of us were on the reach. At that time, he was, my sponsor was, I believe he was the RSR that went to California. My wife was, uh, I don't know what she was, PI or something like that, regional PI, and I was the regional H&I chair. And I'd be going to these regions. I remember going to a regional meeting in Cincinnati, which was like eight hours away from where we lived, and sitting at a table trying to conduct business, and them two were sitting across from me, hugging and carrying on and nibbling each other's ears and all that kind of stuff, and I wasn't even divorced yet. There was some sick, sick stuff going on. But I knew I had to stay involved in Narcotics Anonymous. Believe me, I don't know where it came from with inside of me, how to keep moving forward, but I did. And I don't regret anything that I've gone through in Narcotics Anonymous. Eventually, we got divorced. Unfortunately, those two went back out and relapsed. Uh, a year after I got divorced, I felt like uh, I needed to make a change, and I moved to Florida in July of 1984, and uh, I moved to West Palm Beach. And when I went to Florida in 1984, I went to a lot of meetings that are, uh, it was hard to tell what kind of meeting you were at because there was a lot of uh, AA talk at meetings. There was even meetings where they were using AA literature and uh, a lot of clean and sober talk and that kind of stuff. And like I said, I've known Jim, Jim since day one, and you heard how he talked about some of that stuff. And that's how we grew up in Ohio. We were very rigid about addiction is addiction is addiction, and there ain't no separation and one disease and one program. I mean, we just had that right from the get-go. And... Uh, it was really hard to hear mixed messages. And we were very forceful and very, I don't want to, I can only say for me, I think at times we were very uh, foolish in how we handled our feelings because I do believe that we have chased some people out of the program because of our overbearing need to get them to talk a certain way or talk the way we felt that they should talk. And for that, I regret that. I learned that. I learned through my own maturity in Narcotics Anonymous that one of our problems in NA is, especially, I don't know how it is here, but in Florida, especially in the Palm Beach County area, we have so many treatment centers that probably within a 10-mile block, you've got four or five different treatment centers. Well, the treatment 
philosophy is still way behind times because they still separate alcoholism and drug addiction. I got, we got a big treatment center right in West Palm Beach that has a separate facility, one for drug addicts and one for alcoholics. These people get messages from these treatment centers that say, you're clean and sober, but you need to go to both. It's not their fault. That's what they're being taught by the treatment people. It's up to us, it's up to me as a responsible recovering addict to not badger people or beat people up because of the way they're talking in meetings. It's up to me to teach and be a power example and pull them off to the side away where you're not embarrassing them or whatever. Give them an education about Narcotics Anonymous. Give them an education about one disease, one program. And I think one of the biggest things that I feel bad about is we were at the time we were humiliating a lot of people. And I don't think humility works. I think for me, you know, it would chase me away. I never had that in the program in terms of what I'm talking about, but I just think there's other ways of us getting our message across without doing that. And that's our responsibility to do that. A lot of things, my vision for Narcotics Anonymous is, again, this weekend has been very eye-opening to a lot of people that probably have not known. Some of these resentments have been going on for years and years and years and years and years. Especially, I mean, I grew up in an area where there was definitely a dividing line down the middle of the United States. And it was the East Coast against the West Coast for a long time. We had a fundraiser in 1982, or 19, January 1983, in Lordstown, Ohio, we had this fundraiser. And we had these shirts made up with two little guys with guns. It was that little comic character, I forget his name, but had guns. Yeah. And... Uh, the bottom of the headline said, Gunning for WSC, 1983. And that was our philosophy. We were headed out there to create some havoc because we didn't like what they were doing. We had a real big problem with the way they were handling at the beginning. A lot of people spent a lot of time, energy, feelings, and everything else that you could think of, money, in the textbook project. We were getting flack from California people about that, and they wanting to postpone it and telling us that the fellowship's not ready for this book, and a lot of stuff was going on. And and if it wouldn't have been for people like Bo and Jim and Joseph and jo or Greg and some other people that were involved in the stuff out in California, a lot of this stuff would have never happened. But they stood their ground, and California... Uh, had to learn to make changes. They had to learn that Narcotics Anonymous around the United States is going to go in a different direction than how it's been all these years in just the West Coast. And, and it wasn't a bad thing or anything like that. It was just that's the reality. It was changing. And we really wanted a program. We really were focusing on Jimmy's words. And Jimmy's words were, we're a fellowship that can stand on our own. We could spend on our own. 
And that was our our focus all the time. We don't have to be the red-headed stepchild to any other program in the world. We're a fellowship where no addict seeking recovery ever has to die. That's what we're about. My vision is that somewhere all these resentments will continue. I think this was a good weekend because I think some things got shared here that have been kept inside by a lot of people for a lot of years. And I hope that they can reconcile and we can move on and and do and be a worldwide fellowship. First, we have one of the last things I want to say because I know I'm talking long here, but one of the things is it's very important for us to be involved right now because I'm still involved in I've been involved in service work from day one. I'm still very involved in my region. I just recently uh, I was a Frick Convention board president since 1997. My term just ended in, in September. I am now an ad hoc chairperson where we have a committee where we're putting together, we're writing the history of Narcotics Anonymous in the state of Florida. And we're putting together a really good book, 10 chapters of the history of Narcotics Anonymous as we know it. The first five chapters focus on and our addiction as a whole, and the last five chapters are focusing on the history of NA in Florida. And I'm really proud to be a part of that. But the reason I'm saying that is because I'm still involved in service work, and there are some things that's happening right now that a lot of people aren't even aware of, and you need to be aware of as a member of Narcotics Anonymous. One of the things that's driving me crazy is there's a group of people, one of them, maybe a couple of them, from Florida, and I know from other states, Midwestern states, and even in Texas, are trying to establish this uh, U.S. delicacy thing where we have this conference that's just for the U.S. because they feel like we're being bogged down with uh, other world issues, and they don't have time to deal with U.S. issues because we're dealing with other world issues. I can't tell you how much that, that's a crawl up my ass. It, it totally goes against everything I've learned about unity in Narcotics Anonymous. If we're trying to be a worldwide fellowship, we need to focus on on the worldwide fellowship and not separate the U.S. from anybody else. One of the other things that has always driven me crazy, since ever since they developed those uh, zonal forms, To me, that is such a waste of fellowship money. These zonal forums, I have no idea what what they're trying to do in Florida is they're trying to make another level of service. Well, myself, Biff, and some other people involved in Florida are doing everything in our power to make sure that that don't happen within the Florida region. We don't believe that we need another level of service to get accomplished what we need to get done. What we need to do is get back to the way things used to be and the fellowship, or the world, was responsible to the fellowship at the group level. And they don't need to be dictating to us. They need to be working with us and allowing us to participate in what's going on. And, and I really believe in that. And that's, where, that's my vision. That's what we need to do. It was so exciting when those things were happening and we were all involved and... and, and you get your sponsors and our sponsees involved, and we're going to work on this project, and it's going to be all over the world in NA, and 
and it was great, you know, and, and that's what we need to continue to do. I think, you know, I think we're trying to outgrow our britches or something and be bigger than what we are, and, and we don't need to do that. You know, one of the greatest things that we've done in doing this history thing, one of the greatest, I'm finding out a lot of information. How, how many of you know that, not to bring up any sour subjects, but this is a very important topic. How many of you know that there are certain individuals that make money on every AA big book that is sold? There's a trust fund set up where these people actually get paid money and royalties for every AA big book that is sold. I couldn't believe it. I didn't want to say that, but that's who's doing that. We wrote the fellowship book because we believe that it belongs to the fellowship. There's no, like Jimmy says, there's no bosses in NA. We are a fellowship, and, and everybody owns Narcotics Anonymous. But if you don't get involved, if you don't stay up on what's happening, I'm telling you right now, there's some things coming up, and I know the World Board guys didn't talk too much about some things, but... There's some things coming up at World Service Conference, and if you guys aren't in, in tune to what's happening, just like Resolution A got passed, which is stupid, things are going to get passed, and you're going to wonder how this happened. It's important for all of us to stay involved and know what's going on, and we do that through our service structure. If you don't know what a service structure is, get the guide to local services and, and read it and get an understanding and be involved. Be proud of your fellowship. Be proud of Narcotics Anonymous. And thank you very much for letting me share it.